Father, I'm learning to just actually love just talking to you. And because of the fact that you're opening our eyes to who you really are and how much you're for us, how much you love us. And Lord, so we come to you now again with that same heart attitude that says you're our Father. We call you Daddy. We thank you for that because you've made it possible through Jesus Christ. Lord, as we come now and continue this study through your word, again, thank you for the fact that your word is alive. And even if we've read chapter 10 before and some of these very familiar passages, open our eyes afresh and anew to things that we hadn't seen that help us to, to see you even more clearly tonight. I thank you for the fact that you're going to you're do something in each of our lives that will let you. That will be good for us tonight, and I thank you for that. Father, I just continue to pray for uh, you to be glorified in what goes on as each of us come with a heart that says, you teach us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to do is uh, start off by reading Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. But we're going to then go back and look at chapter 9, verses 30 through 33, because it will set us up to the way where we need to go. So in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, is where we're going to be starting our study tonight. It says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, before we go into breaking this part down, I want you to, those of you remember from your notes last week, what was Paul's purpose for, for or what was he trying to, answer? question was he trying to answer, in writing chapter 10. Remember we looked last week at how he dealt with God's sovereignty, his supremacy, how he can do it however he wants. What was Paul dealing with in chapter 10 that we talked about last week at the beginning of the lesson? And God's purpose for Israel failed. That's coming up next week in chapter 11. Did God cast off Israel forever? That's coming up next week in chapter 11. We looked at how God... Is sovereign and he's supreme. Thank you. The Jews were responsible, not God, for their spiritual plight because they rejected Christ and righteousness. That's where we're going tonight. We're going to look at how the Jews are responsible, not God, for the fact that they rejected the righteousness that comes by faith. And that's what Paul's laying down. Remember last week looked in chapter 9 how he said if it was possible for him to go to hell so Israel would be saved, he'd do it. That's how much he cares for the nation of Israel. Again in chapter 10, his heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites that they may be saved. But before we go into that, go back now to the end of where we left off last week. In chapter 9, look at verses 30 through 33. Paul says, What then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith, but Israel who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it? Why not? Because they pursued it, not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. What Paul is dealing with here is, is he's been laying this foundation. So here the Jews have been trying to earn righteousness. They've been trying to be righteous. And are you saying that the ones who have spent their life, livelihood and their lives trying to be righteous didn't get righteousness? Yet these Gentiles who weren't even looking to be righteous didn't even care about righteousness or given righteousness because they believed? And Paul's answer is yes. That's exactly it. 
because it is not about us and our effort, but totally upon God and His gift. And that's what God had been trying to teach the Israelites all along. And you're going to see that develop now with that with Paul. That's where he left off. And that's what he's going to start developing. See, so in chapter uh, 10, verse 2, he said, For I can testify about the Jews that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, and they sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Now, before we go to Christ's end of the law, what do you think it says there when it says they did not submit to God's righteousness? What do, what do you think of when you see that? God gave them the Ten Commandments. He didn't give them 400 or 360 or 400 and whatever laws. He gave them the laws he wanted them to have and they added to it. They didn't just submit to what he gave them. Let's take where you're going there. Why do you think they added to it? Because their understanding was so finite that his law covered everything. But it was works oriented and not faith. Well, they tried to complete the law with their actions, and the only way to do that was to make all those detailed rules. That's right. They tried to. The, 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 both of you, this is what said. They, they were works oriented, and they're trying to complete the law with their actions. In other words, the, the, the keep the Sabbath holy was one of the laws. Well, then they went into well, here's how to keep the Sabbath holy, and they added all these extra laws. And actually, as the Bible clearly points out, actually the Sabbath was just a picture of the rest in Christ that was going to be available, you know, and all. But Keep in mind where we're going with this, because it's very easy to sit back and look at the Jews and say, boy, were they works-oriented. But I've come to realize that many Christians today do not fully understand what they have received in Jesus Christ. And many Christians today, and many churches today, are still very works-oriented. You've got to do your part, and you've got to work hard, and you've got to be faithful. And we keep track of whether or not you were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And you get gold stars, you have perfect attendance in Sunday school. And our emphasis is on our effort, not on the rest that is in Him. Now, you say, oh, we can do whatever we want. We don't have to. That's the fear that everybody always gets panicked about. There, for some reason, Satan has convinced people that if you really understand grace, people are just going to go do whatever they want. But actually, I've come to realize for myself and for those who really understand grace, that's not even a thought that even crosses your mind. You actually start to do more with and for God, but you're no longer keeping track. It just happens. But the keeping track is one of the things that's really hurt us. And here Paul is saying, look, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. So when you hear they didn't submit to God's righteousness, I want to ask you a question. Did the Jews have a choice? Yes, sure, obviously. Since they did. But did you hear that? They didn't submit to God. In other words, it was offered to them. They didn't submit to it. They, they didn't receive it. They didn't accept it. You're going to see that more. But that's going to be very important as we get a little bit further on. Because mm-hmm. you're going to hear a lot of terms that might sound like they didn't have a choice. Go ahead. In other words, they didn't take his offer of grace. It said they didn't submit to God's righteousness, right? They didn't receive his offer of grace. Okay. Because they thought that it was on them. And that God... Because as you look at some of the instructions that we may read in a little bit today, it sure sounds like God has given them, here's what I want you to do. And so the emphasis on this will make him happy if I do, do, do. You know, kind of a thing. It, it, it's, it's kind of a sad, sad thing, but uh, a couple nights ago, I decided being led of the Lord to get my two girls out of bed they'd already gone to bed they're both awake and take them out to my first spot I have a spot where I go out once in a while at night on the deck out behind our house by the pool when everybody's in bed I'll sit out there look at the stars and talk to God 
Well, as God has been doing His work in my heart, I wanted to teach them about a relationship. I, I want them to learn young about how much our Father loves us and what it means to be in relationship with Him, not serving Him. And so I just, on a whim, went and got my two girls out of bed and said, come with me. They said, where are we going? I said, just come with me. And the sad thing was, my oldest daughter said, are we in trouble? He said, that's because she had been raised by a dad for many years who was measuring performance. Who was measuring performance. I, and, and I'm starting to see the grace of God now in a whole new way. I, was at, I spoke at a men's prayer breakfast uh, this past Saturday, and we met at Golden Corral. And I'm sitting there with a the pastor and two of his sons, and, and the younger of the sons, if you go Corral's the buffet there, and you can get all, is a breakfast buffet, and he went and filled his plate with more than a little kid could ever eat. Because his eyes, you know, your eyes are bigger than your stomach when you're that age. And he started to get full, but also there's some things on his plate he also didn't realize he didn't like. He sat there and his dad says, you're not going to eat your food? He said, it, it doesn't taste good. Then his dad, who's been learning grace as well, said, is there stuff out there you think you'd like? He says, yeah. His dad said, would you like to try again? He said, yeah. His father said, go ahead. Go get a new plate. And then the father and I talked. Because the way I've raised my kids, you can't do anything else until you what? Finish your plate. And not only that, because you've made this horrible choice, you can't get any dessert. You know what I'm saying? Isn't that how? You know? But the picture, the picture of grace is, man, I really blew it. Can I start over? Yes. And you always feel guilty. You're children in Africa. We sure do. We sure do. Because as easy it is for us to sit back and talk about how the Jews tried to earn it, we still do. Don't you think they were so entrenched in their religious rituals that it was hard to clip that off? Yes. The known versus the unknown. Yes. Yes. But this, actually, our sin nature drives us to do that. Totally. Well, Satan's in there saying, Exactly. Work real hard. Right. Tell them. Right. But let's take that illustration, though, of the plate of food that was wasted to the next level. Let's say a waitress comes over and says, I'm really sorry, but we have a policy here that if you waste food, we have to charge you for it. We're going to have to charge you another person's grace is where the father says, that's okay, I'll pay for it. And the kid doesn't have to pay. I'm moving from law into grace. It's always been there, as you're going to see. It's always been there. But the Jews felt like they had to perform in order to become righteous. And Paul's saying, look, God's offer of righteousness had always been there. They didn't submit to it. And I'm saying this to you now for this reason. For those of you that have said yes to Jesus Christ and said, yes, I believe, and given Him your life for salvation, do not be duped by the enemy into thinking, okay, now that He's done this for you, you owe it to Him to do, and you can fill in the blanks. Because that is what happens next. You know? So, let's deal with this next part, verse 4. Because Christ is the end of the law. So there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, there's two options for interpreting Christ is the end of the law. The first option is Christ was the terminus at which the law ceased to be a means of salvation. In other words, the law was a means of salvation, but now Christ is the means of salvation. Alright? 
Or, Christ became the end, or telos, in the Greek, of the law. He was the goal at which the law aimed. Christ provided the righteousness at which the law aimed, but never could give because of human weakness and sin. And I want to honestly throw out to you, I believe it's the second one. I believe it's the second one. The Bible had always said that there, there was no righteousness to observing the law because it's impossible. And there is the culmination or fulfillment. Yep. That's what the Greek word telos means. They, some translations call it the end. But it, it was the goal at which the, the law was aimed. And, and those who were counted righteousness were counted just because God decided to account it. Yes. Not because they did everything right. And all along, those who we will see on the other side, who were Old Testament, were because they believed in the promise of Christ, not because they believed and upheld the law. Well, let's be honest. Does Abraham come across as our definition of righteous? I mean, he doubted, he worried, he, he slept with Hagar, he tried to take it, he lied, and he said, she's not my sister, why, she's my sister. Uh, would we want us to say Abraham was a righteous man? Now, let's be really honest. We look at Lot and him uh, getting drunk and making two babies with his daughters, and yet Peter says that he was a righteous man. It has to be because God gives you righteousness, not because you earned it. Right? It was credited to him. And that's what your righteousness is. It was given to you. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He came and did what no one else could ever do, and God knew from the beginning no one could do it. But in order for us to get to that place of realizing, I can't do it, I need you to give it to me, he has to first have us realize our inability. In other words, let the kid go get all they want. Because if you were to say to that child, you can't really eat all you think you can, what would that kid say? Yes, I can. Okay, knock yourself out. And when the kid sits there realizing this is more than I can handle, that's when you're able to give grace and say, now you understand what I've been trying to tell you. Do you understand? And so that's where Paul is trying to help us understand. So keep in mind that, uh, um, that they would not submit to God's law. They wouldn't receive it. It's very important as we head on further. Head over to chapter 10 now, verse 5. It says, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that's by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we're proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Now as the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, before we get into that whole confession of the mouth part, because I, I believe God wants us to see something that's kind of cool that we probably have never looked at in this angle. So stick with me as we get to that in a little bit. But before we do that, we have to deal with this first part. And most of us, when we read this section of Romans, we skip over it. Because let's be honest, it doesn't make any sense. When he talks about how, uh, but righteousness is by faith says, don't say in your heart who will descend to heaven, and that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend to the deeps, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? How many of us really understand what that means? We, we, we read it and we go, hmm, and we skip over, right? 
and, and it's like we hit a section where all of a sudden the teacher sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher. We don't understand it. And we have a tendency to just kind of go, maybe that's for another day, and move on. Okay? But I want to wrestle with this a little bit. Actually, Paul is quoting Old Testament passages when he does that. And uh, so go with me real quick to Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. Alright, in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, God says through Moses, Keep my decrees and laws, for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. Okay? What does it sound like he's saying to you? Works. Works. Right? That's exactly it. Keep my, obey, my, my commands, because the one who obeys them or, or lives by them, you know... Um, I'm sorry, the man obeys them will live by them. That's what he says. Alright? Sure sounds like works. Right? Just do it. How many of you have tried to be obedient to the Word of God? Has anybody hit a, hit 100%? By the way, that's the measuring stick for whether or not you're righteous by observing the law. The Bible is very, very clear. James chapter 2 verse 10 even says you're able to keep the whole law but stumble at just one point. You're guilty as if you broke it all. Now the sad thing is, is Satan's out there telling people who are sinners, who have not been forgiven by Jesus Christ, he's out there telling them what? You're not, you're not, you're good enough, you're not so bad. Yeah, you might have missed the mark a little bit here, but you know what, you're way better than Joe down the street, you're not that bad. But if you're going to go by the measurement of obedience to the law of God, the standard is perfection or you have none. There is no, I'm pretty good. But Satan's out there whispering in the ear here saying, you're pretty good. You, you know what? You're not perfect, but nobody's perfect. You've done pretty good. Now, for those of us who have received righteousness as a gift, and it's just, you have righteousness because God has given you righteousness, and you are righteous because of that, what is Satan saying to us? You're not good enough. You're not good enough. Isn't that amazing? If we would learn to really understand what the, what the Word of God says, and then you would recognize the enemy, he's out there saying, you better work a little harder. You didn't read your Bible this morning. You didn't have a quiet time. Well, this probably happened to you because you haven't been given to the church like you're supposed to. And all these things. Satan's telling us we're not working hard enough. He's telling people that aren't forgiven and given righteousness that they're okay, they're fine. Why? Because he doesn't want us to be in a good relationship with our Creator. And once we've been given righteousness, he doesn't want us to realize it. If you were really forgiven, really, really set free, I mean... If you right now really understood, or let's just say that right now you could honestly say, I've never done anything in my life, and I'm I'm that clean, wouldn't it feel pretty good? Let's be honest. Wouldn't that feel really good? How would it feel if you could honestly sit here and say, I have never, ever, honestly, shouts honor, swear to God, never have done anything? Would it feel pretty good, wouldn't it? Well, the Bible says because of God's righteousness, that's where you are. You are made as if you never, ever sinned. That's hard for us to really grasp, isn't it? Because for so long, we believe that we still have that old nature. We don't. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. Alright, so, he quotes from Leviticus 18.5 on works. 
And then he also quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. Now look closely. Go ahead and go to Deuteronomy 30. Someone read verse for us, verses 11 through 14. And notice how Leviticus deals with achievement, but Deuteronomy represents or presents an attitude of the heart. Someone read for us Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we, may, so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. He's saying, okay, what, this is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. And in this famous section of offer of life and death, blessings or curses, Moses starts off by simply saying, look, what, what we're talking to you about here is not out of reach. It's not impossible here, what God is offering. Now, if you think it's through your own effort, that's impossible. But what we're talking about here, this word of faith, it's very clear. It's in your heart. It's right there. And so what Paul does here in chapter 10 is he actually quotes from Leviticus 18.5 and Deuteronomy 30.11-14. Now look closely, real quickly, just as a little aside. Does he quote Deuteronomy 30.11-14 perfectly? No. Now we know full well this word is quoted from, but he doesn't quote it word for word. Relax on some of these things. God wants you to understand the gist of what his word says. Don't be like, oh, I left off the word hand. You know, because a lot of times we used to memorize scripture and have our three by five cards and we'd sit down and try to memorize scripture and we're like, hmm, I left the word off the or uh, if or whatever. It's dinged in class if he doesn't have it exactly right. Yeah, that word, you miss that word, ding. What's that teaching us? Performance. Perfection. God's measuring your, it's sad. It's all around. It's everywhere. It really, really is. But here he's sitting now let's look at it again now looking at what he's quoting from let's go back to, uh, to Romans chapter 10 look at what he says now Moses describes in this way the righteousness that's by the law the man who does these things will live by them in other words achievement but the righteousness that's by faith says don't say in your heart who will ascend to heaven or it's too far to go or oh, that is to bring Christ down or who will descend into the deep that is to bring Christ up from the dead in other words don't say well, this, this righteousness you're talking about for, for salvation through Jesus it's, 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 it's too hard to understand don't say that it's right there the word's near you it's in your mouth and in your heart the word of faith that we're proclaiming and here's what it is if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now what Paul is saying is, is don't act like the Jews did on, when they came to realize that the law was impossible. Don't say that this righteousness from God is impossible. It's very, very simple. It's not out of reach. You don't have to send someone to heaven to bring this understanding down or go down to the depths to bring. It's right there. It's very simple. But listen closely to what he says. Here's the word of faith for proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with the heart you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Now, for many years, I've heard people teach this passage like a formula. You have to believe in your heart and you have to confess it with your mouth. Right? It's a belief in your heart and you have to say it with your mouth. 
If you don't say it with your mouth, you're really not saved, right? Well, can anybody tell me why that's not true? There are some people that can't talk. Exactly. What about the mute people? Are mute people unsavable? They're out of luck, baby, because this formula here says too many of us are trying to take the Word of God, and you've got to be aware of people out there who take the Word of God and turn it into a formula. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. If you don't confess with your mouth. Now stick with me here. What does the word confess actually mean? Acknowledge. To agree, to acknowledge. Humble yourself. Humbling yourself is in there, but it's not really what it means. The word confess means to say the same thing. When you confess your sins, you're saying the same thing as God. If God said this is sin, and you say, I don't think it is, are you confessing your sins? No. But if you say the same thing that God says, that this is sin, or this was wrong, you're confessing. It's to agree with God, or to say the same thing. What he's simply saying here is, is that your outward evidence should say the same thing as what's in your heart. Whether you verbally say it or not is not the issue as much as your outward actions need to say the same thing as your heart. You believe, it will manifest itself. If what your actions don't line up with Jesus is Lord, you might have an issue. Now, don't get into legalism on me. There are some days I don't look like a Christian. There are some days you don't look like a Christian. But what he's talking about simply here is, if we were to look at your life on the whole, do you confess with your mouth and your actions your belief that Jesus is Lord? Do they say the same thing, what you say you believe in your heart? Now this Jesus is Lord, though, is even deeper than you realize. See, if we read Lord and we think, well, Jesus is in charge, right? Jesus is Lord. He gets to call the shots. There's more to it than this, and here's why. See, back in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Greek translators would take the Hebrew words for God, such as Yahweh or Adonai, and they would translate them into the Greek in the word kurios, which means war. Actually, what he's saying here is, is he's going back to when the Jews would say the name or the covenant name of God, they would use Yahweh or Adonai. In other words, when you use those words, you're using the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, what, instead of Jesus is Lord, it's Jesus is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Put yourself in the, Jew, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the mindset of a Jew. A real Jew who does not believe in Christ would never say Jesus is God or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See the difference? This Jesus' Lord here is very, very big. It's not a, well, God's God and He's in charge. No, 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 no. This was, I confess that Jesus is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is the I Am. He is Yahweh. That's what I'm con- believing in my heart and I'm confessing in my mouth. Even if that means I be put to death. Even if that means I lose my position in the synagogue. Even if that means I lose my standing in my family. Even if that means I lose my inheritance. 
even if that means people think I'm crazy. Folks, this is bigger than Jesus in charge. Oh, that's going to come with it once you sign up to uh, give him your life. Uh, he'll finish what he started, and you'll find out one way or another he's Lord in that sense. But this is, Jesus is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm sorry? The God of the promise. Do you see the depth of what they're saying here? This was pretty big. So don't turn this into a formula. I have to believe and I have to say the, the, your outward actions in your, in your heart say the same thing. That's what he's getting at. Alright? Now, again, as the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will be put to shame. I'm sorry, never be put to shame. <laughs> For there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For who? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Once again in scripture, you see, this offer of salvation is for everyone. It's for everyone. It's all out there. They have to be willing to just say, yes, Jesus is this God of Abraham. He is the one who's offering this gift of salvation. Now, before we move on, anybody want to add anything or share anything about this section before we get to the next section? Chapter 10, mm-hmm. for with the heart a person believes, I think the Jews were using their brain power. Yeah, they were. They weren't letting anything process through their heart in their religion. Right. Well, their hearts had become very hard as well. But you're right. They definitely were doing it. They were all outward acts, outward acts. And Jesus even said about the Jews, especially the Pharisees, he says, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you. These peoples honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain they worship me. Their religion and their, their worship is just rules taught by men. It's exactly the opposite of this. Yeah, their mouth's saying one thing, but the heart's nowhere near me. Can't come back. We really can't approach God with our own will. It's got to be pure. Yep. Okay. And didn't we choose? And I did just read this, but didn't we choose to eat from the tree of knowledge? Yes, we did. We chose to eat from the tree of knowledge, which is, represents the law. And once they ate from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, instead of eating from the tree of life, because God never said you couldn't eat from that tree. Okay. Once they ate from that other tree, they immediately felt there were things they had to do in order to be right in the eyes of God. When they used to walk with him in his presence naked, and they had no shame, and there was no issue, now all of a sudden, after eating from the wrong tree, they now believe they had to hide from God, and that they had to cover themselves in order to be okay in his presence. They now felt it was up to them to become righteous in his eyes. And, that, and that's the way we all, that's one of the things you're going to struggle with. Go ahead. I'm just saying about call on the name of the Lord. The word call might mean worship because if you go back to Genesis where it says instead, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Yes. Uh, another phrase is that you will say, Lord, 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 whatever it means. That's right. And it's a simple call of Lord, Lord is not what you say here. What you say that you worship the Lord. That's it. That, and and what, what is worship? Full dependence on him. That, that, that's actually excellent. I'm glad you brought that out. Because you can just say, well, I, I, I call him all the time. I've heard these, oh, I, I talk to the big man upstairs all the time. I, when I hear terms like that, I wonder if they really understand Adonai, Yahweh. I wonder if they really understand the holiness of God. And they, and, but you're right, it's just calling on his name or saying, Lord, Lord, isn't it? It's worship. That's a really good point. Thanks for bringing that in. That's really good. Chapter 10 now, verses 14 through 21. 
Now, this is awesome. Stick with me here. It's kind of cool. Uh, there's a man that I've been using to help in my study that kind of took this next section and he broke it down into a really cool way. And we'll get to that in just a second. It says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the, in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I'll make you envious by those who are not a nation. I'll make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Now we're going to come to those quotes from Old Testament passages just a little bit. But I love how this man has taken this, how can they, how can they, and he broke it down into four simple statements. He says, you cannot call on him for salvation unless you believe in him as your Lord. You cannot believe in him as your Lord unless you have heard his message. You cannot hear his message effectively unless someone declares it to you. No one can proclaim God's message properly unless God sends them. I love how the fact that he brought out the God emphasis of this. See, for many years, preachers have taken this passage right here, and they have made it man-centered, and they have used it to what? Guilt people into going out and telling them. If you don't tell them, they may never hear. And the emphasis was on us, and our effort, and our works. You better go tell them. How can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? You need to be those people. There might be someone here today who, 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 the only way they'll ever hear about Jesus is you, or, you know, all this kind of stuff. But I love the fact that if you look closely, it says, first of all, you can't call on Him for salvation unless you believe in Him as your Lord. Second of all, you can't believe in Him as your Lord unless you've heard His message. Thirdly, you can't hear His message effectively unless someone else declares it to you. But... Because of our sovereign, awesome God who accomplishes everything that He wants done, no one can proclaim God's message properly unless God sends them. And that's where He's about to go. You could easily say, well, well, Israel didn't hear. And He's about to say, yes, they did. Don't say it was because someone's fault that they didn't get the message out. Look at what He says next here in verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I asked, did they not hear? And he makes sure the answer is very, very clear here. A lot of times Paul asks a question and the obvious answer is there and he doesn't give it. This is a time when it's really make sure you are clear. Did they not hear? Yes, of course they did. Now, go with me real quick to Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. His word has gone out into all the earth. This is what David says in verses 1 through 4. Actually, we'll go all the way through verse 6. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of His hands. 
Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. That's where he's quoting from. In the heavens he, God, has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. How has God first and foremost revealed himself to all mankind? To his creation. Look out this window right now. What a blessing and privilege we have to be able to do a Bible study here. Uh, I'm sure you all fight for the couch so you can just sit and get that perfect view. People over here fight for, for the view to look straight at me. But, um, but what, what do you see about the glory of God right now when you look out? Talk to me. What do you see? The massiveness of the waves and that they come from so far and so deep. The colors. Do you know the scripture actually says God has set the limits of where the oceans can go? He said you go this far and that's it. The Bible actually says that God has determined where they stop. Have you ever have you ever realized how heavy a five gallon bucket of water is? Have you ever tried to carry just a five gallon bucket of water and how heavy it is? Now just even try to fathom how much all that ocean weighs. Alright? It will blow your brain if you even try to figure it out. But at the same time, this world does not change its orbit. As massively heavy as this planet is, we go a little bit this way, we'll burn up. A little bit this way, we freeze. Well, we've studied in science today, Richard and I looked at the fact that um, if the earth was not covered with as much water as it is covered with, we'd burn up because the water itself is our air conditioner its temperature down. We're too busy with our heads and our Game Boys and our DVD players. I'm going to be honest and serious about this. Don't hear me. I'm not saying all that stuff's bad, but hear me. You will find your relationship with God blossom. If you close your computer and you go outside. Just spend some time outside. We are blessed by God to live where we live. To be able to just go out to the ocean and just walk and listen. He started off by staying here in Psalm 19.4. Did they hear? Of course they did. Creation has spoken. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse, verse 21. He then goes on to say that even Moses said this was going to happen. All this whole righteousness that comes by faith that the Gentiles understand and you guys don't. Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. Someone read that one for us, good and loud, for the people listening to on the web. Thirty-two, verse twenty-one. Chapter thirty-two, Deuteronomy, verse twenty-one. They made me jealous by what is no. God and angered me with their worthless idols. I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. This was written how long ago? This was written a long, 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 long time ago. God, remember, God, it's all now to God. He can see it. He sees it all at the same time. And he says, this nation of Israel, because of their continuing to go and worship other gods, which aren't even gods, and it made me jealous, I'm going to make them jealous. I'm going to make the nation of Israel jealous by who? 
by those who are not a people. I'll make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. God revealed himself to the nation of Israel. He gave them the covenants, the law. He gave them all this revelation of himself, his presence with them. And the Ark of the Covenant, he went with them. He was there. The parting of the Red Sea, the walls of Jericho, the you just name it. He revealed himself mightily. So much so that the Bible actually said that the other nations shook in fear when they even heard that the Israelites were coming near. Because God was with them. God revealed himself and made them a nation. His people... And they go off and worship all this other junk. It's not even God's. Made me jealous. He said, I'm going to make them jealous by a people who aren't even a people. I'm just going to give them what they're all trying to get on their own. Now, interesting, you'll see this when we get to chapter 11 next week. Paul actually says that as much as he wants Israel to be saved, that makes him preach to the Gentiles even harder because he knows that when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, Israel will be aroused to jealousy. Right now, they think we're wrong and they don't, they don't care. Oh, but when the sons of God are revealed, oh, when the rapture occurs and the chaos erupts on the earth, they're going to say, hey God, could you do for us what you did for them? <laughs> could you do for us what you did for them? Could you protect us? Could you spare us? Could you take care of us? And they're going to turn back to him. But here Moses had already said this was going to happen. Paul is saying to them, Folks, listen to me. I'm a Jew as much as you're a Jew. But the scriptures have been saying, when I'm talking about this righteousness that comes by faith and not by works, it's been there all along. And the fact that these Gentiles have got it and they haven't worked for it, it's been said a long, long time ago. God said he would do it. This is what's happening. Go real quick to Isaiah chapter 65. Somebody read for us verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 65, verses 1 and 2. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, Here am I, here am I. All day long I have held out my hands to obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. By the way, all these passages we've just looked at in the Old Testament are all the ones that Paul's quoting here in Romans chapter 10. And look what he says here. Isaiah even said it would happen. I revealed myself to those that didn't even ask for me. Let's be really honest about this. The Bible's pretty clear in Romans chapter 3, verse 11. You remember, no one seeks God. He seeks us first. He seeks us first. And neither did the nation of Israel seek him. Abraham just, you know, going about his business, living on the earth. God came and revealed to Abraham and said, i got a plan. I want to do something. I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to make a nation out of you. And boom, 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 and all that. All the way through Scripture. Every time you see God do anything, He initiates it. He initiates it. So please rest in Him and stop thinking that God's wanting waiting for you to do your part. You've never had a part except trusting Him. And then moving when He speaks. But if you have not heard nothing, just rest. Rest. God didn't want me to sit there and do nothing. Yeah, He might. How many of you have ever thought about the fact, and I've heard too many people say, God wouldn't want me to do nothing. How many of you have ever thought about the fact that Jesus told the, 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 the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the gift that the Father promised you? Right? Remember? Remember? He, he, he didn't tell them how long it was going to be. He said, don't leave Jerusalem. You have to keep in mind, these, these men had families. 
Peter and, and sorry, James and John had a dad that they loved in Galilee up there, but they were told to stay down in Jerusalem and wait until the gift. They didn't know how long it was going to be. Peter definitely had a wife. He had a mother-in-law. He had a mother-in-law. Don't know his wife's name. But at some point, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. It's a horrible joke to have a mother-in-law and no wife. All right. So Peter had a wife. Yet they were told to do what? Wait in Jerusalem until you receive the gift the Father's promised you. And he didn't tell them. They didn't know how long it was going to be. But when he ascended, he said, "You stay here. You wait." It ended up being ten days. But they didn't know how long it was going to be. Would God want you to sit and do nothing? Sometimes. Sometimes, yes. How many times did he say to his disciples, come apart with me by yourselves and get some rest? Let's go to a quiet place and rest for a while. And actually, if you think back about it, when Jesus left, they didn't have a clue what to do. You know why? Because Jesus did it all. There wasn't a problem with that. Even when he had them do stuff, he told them where to go and who to talk to. When you go into this town, go to this street, talk to this guy, ask for this. What to take or not. What to take. Jesus did it all. Folks, we begin to rest in the fact that he who began this good work in you, he's going to finish it. Don't listen to the enemy who says it's up to you now to do your part. And you've got to work hard. And you've got to be faithful. You have to humble yourself and say, I can't. But Jesus here said you would. I believe you would. And here, Paul says, he revealed himself to a people... We didn't even look for him. And he said, here I am. But look closely at what he says here now in verse 2 of chapter 65 of Isaiah. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who would who, who, to walk in ways not good. Look here back now in chapter 10, verse 21. Okay, go ahead. Keep reading it. Following their own Following their own thoughts. That's true. And look at verse 21 of chapter 10. But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Now, again, as we looked at the beginning, did Israel have a choice? Yes. There came a point where God said, your opportunity has now ceased as a whole. Individual Jews are still coming to faith. But as a nation, he's not drawing them right now. And he hardened their hearts. Yes, the Bible says God hardened their hearts. He made it so they couldn't hear. But they did have an opportunity. Now, keep this in mind. Because we're about to come to the end of the church age. We're about to come to the end of the times of the Gentiles. The same thing is going to happen to us Gentiles as well. When God says the times of the Gentiles has come to a conclusion, the time of the church age is over, He's going to rapture His church. There are going to be many who think they're okay, who are going to be spit out. We'll get into that later another time. But, but the, the, there are those who, who are, are, are deceiving themselves, if you will, who are going to be left behind. And then He's going to finish what He started with the nation of Israel. We'll get to that next week when we get to chapter 11. But it was not God's fault or choice that this happened. And I made a little note in the corner. Do we still not do the same thing? Again, look at Israel and say, oh, what did they did? Do we not try to blame God for our rejection of Him and His truth? How many times have you heard people say, when we talk about this offer of salvation through Jesus Christ and Him alone, well, how could a loving God 
whatever, send them to hell or have Steve Sarkovic. It's, it's God's fault. Folks, the scripture's been so clear. It's not God's fault. He has been laying his arms out, holding his arms out, at least for this church age, for 2,000 years. And it's been there. He's not unable to communicate it. He's been communicating it over and over and over. And when you stand before God, you're not going to be able to say, I didn't know. You're not going to be able to say, I didn't hear. You're not going to be able to say, it's not my fault. But what does he want from you? Faith. Faith. He's got it. Oh, it's going to manifest itself somehow, because unless your mouth or your actions agree, <laughs> we'll say the same thing as what you believe in your heart, then you don't really believe. But if you believe and your actions confess or agree with what your heart says, you'll be saved. Thank God he's not measuring perfection when it comes to faith. Because there are days I don't have a real lot of faith. But he's given me enough to say yes for salvation and he'll finish what he started. It's not on me. Anybody want to add anything before we wrap up? Questions? What you just ended up with sort of came to my mind that we are sometimes told if we don't go out and witness, we're not really completing God's work. And it's occurred to me that sometimes you don't have to say a word, but you can still witness. There's lots of different ways to witness. I believe that if someone really understands what they've been given, you, you're going to have a hard time shutting them up because it's really. I mean, let's be honest. You read a good book. What do you tell people? Well, you got to read this book. Or a new restaurant opens up and you go there and you like it. What do you do? Man, you got you to try this new restaurant. If someone really is excited about Jesus, it's going to come out of your mouth. But when we turn it around and make it a law, actually, I know of pastors of churches who actually make their staff mandatorily witness to so many people a week and they have to hand in reports of who they witnessed to and what the person said and what they said in response and they have to give verbatim reports because you have to witness to so many people each week or you're not really a good staff member for sure go ahead I am still a little puzzled we're used to that (laughs) (laughs) that was too easy I'm sorry about that go ahead you know the Lord spoke there the world and I'm not and somehow I guess maybe my my puzzle is I know that, that there are times when we are the only Bible that anyone may read by our actions. I understand that. But I know, uh, I just believe that by faith we still need to speak. I believe the Word is still... I, I'm not saying no one has to say anything. I'm not going that far. What I'm saying is don't turn it into a law. Right. Don't turn it into a law. That's what I'm saying. It's the difference between going out and running into someone in, in a store or wherever at work or wherever you have to happen to be and feeling like I have to say something about my faith right now. I have to because I'm, or waiting for the Spirit to lead you into what to say or if to say. Let me give you a perfect example. If you've never read the book uh, by Brother Andrew called God's Smuggler, in his personal testimony, there's a point where he comes to faith in Christ, and God makes him go to work in this factory, and the women that work in this part of the factory are some of the most vile, nasty-talking, 
foul mouth women you'd ever met, and the leader of them is a very, very nasty lady. And God convicts him that he's to invite them to an evangelistic crusade where the gospel's going to be preached at an outdoor event. And he invites them. Of course, they mock him and all. But this lady who's the leader of it all decides on a joke she's going to go. And, but she doesn't have a ride. And he's got a little motor scooter, kind of like you have. And he had a little scooter thing. And so she has to ride on the back of the thing with him to it. She goes. She doesn't accept the gospel at this thing. They ride back together on the scooter. And he thinking, oh, what a perfect opportunity. Now, not in front of all these other girls. I can talk to her one-on-one, get her with the gospel. And the Spirit of God says, don't say a word. Talk about everything else. Do not talk about me or salvation. Clear as anything, God shut his mouth about that. So, he didn't understand, but he was obedient to what he thought God was saying, and he doesn't say a word. They have chit-chat, small talk. She gets up. He goes to work the next day. She comes running up to him, and it's obvious she's a different woman. And he said, what's going on? She goes, I need to tell you what happened last night. When I got on the back of your bike, I was sure that you were going to hammer me to get saved. But when you didn't say anything, all of a sudden I started to think, Maybe I'm one of those people that the preacher was talking about that it's too late. Because there'll come a point where the Spirit stops striving with man. And he talked about if you get to that point where you do not say yes, you will lose your opportunity. And when you didn't say anything, I immediately felt like maybe it's too late. And I got on my knees last night and gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And it was God who did it through His silence. Do you understand? So I'm not saying don't speak. I'm saying don't turn it into a law that you have to say something. How many of us have gone out of an encounter feeling guilty? Oh, I should have said something about my faith. If you're supposed to, then the words would have been on your lips because they're not your words anyway. Exactly. Rest in the fact that he will do that. He'll do that. It's spirit doing it through you. It's spirit doing it through you. And he's the author of healing. What's the scripture that says? moment by moment we're supposed to be walking in the spirit so that he will tell us what to say when to say you're actually putting a couple together but yes the Bible talks about how he'll in the Old Testament I'll tell you to turn to the right or the left and also he will give you the words at that time to worry about what you're going to say so keep in mind this is his work too and and if you're willing and listening he'll open those doors but don't feel like I have to go share my faith let me pray for us thank you all for, for, for coming and Let's, let's close up. Father, again, I thank you for this chance to come and to open up your word. And Father, I thank you that at the same time as we look at the nation of Israel and their rejection, because they felt like they had to earn it, you could speak to our hearts tonight and speak to us about the fact that we sometimes, and if not many times, still try to feel like we have to pay you back. Father, may we rest in the fact that it's all been done by you, and it's a gift. And then we can rest in If we never do another thing for you, you are still going to be in heaven and you love us. Oh, but there's so much more that you want to do in and through us as a gift continuing for us and through us uh, if we would just learn to rest in you and let you work through us. But Lord, may we first lay down the legalistic demands of perfection and working hard. May we rest in the fact that you're going to finish what you started. And Lord, may the joy and the peace that comes from really understanding the gospel, the good news of grace in Jesus Christ, may that overflow and may the world see May they ask us to give reason for the hope that lies within us. And when the next situation comes up that we don't understand, may our first thought not be, God's mad at me. We pray this in Jesus' name.
خانه 